this morning... I want to share with you real briefly that I came this morning to trick you. You know, this is one of those unique days where Resurrection Sunday falls on that national holiday of April Fool's Day. And how many of you have already been pranked by someone in your house? Anybody? Okay, a couple people. Oh, you, and Trayson, you did it. Fantastic. I can't wait to hear the stories. So one of the, one of the best April Fools that, that happens around this place is that somebody planted, and I think they're tulips, in this planter right out. You'll never look at this planter the same way. Planted tulips out here. And they look great for about three weeks, and then they all lay over and, and, and die, and nobody can take care of them. And and it ends up looking like really bad, dead zombie land out there with flowers. And, and that's not really the message we want to send. So a few years ago, we re-landscaped, and we actually got, because like, you can't just pull the things out. They just keep coming. And so we went in, and we excavated the dirt. We pulled out like eight inches of soil and pulled out all those things. We're like, finally, we don't have to worry about these things sprouting up again. Did you notice? The April Fools, you know, you think just when you got rid of them, here they come again, and, and they get you. And, and so today, the idea of what we're looking at is, are we fools to believe in a risen Savior? Are we fools to believe in a risen Savior? There are many people that believe we are. There are many people that look at what millions of people have already gathered around the world to celebrate today, and they look at those individuals as fools. So we're going to look at that. We're going to study that real briefly this morning. And here's my April Fool's prank on you, is that we're not going to be in those passages in the Gospels where, where you're looking at angels and gardens and tombs. We, we've had, you know, we just saw that in, in cartoon form. We're going to be in some other areas this morning to realize and, and wrestle with this whole idea of, is Christianity a fool's game? Years ago, uh, when I was doing youth ministry, I used to take my students out to Catalina Island for camp. We're actually scheduled to take our high school and junior hires out to Catalina Island this coming summer, so I'm very excited for them. They get to do that. But here's the thing. There's two good things about Catalina Island. One is this camp, Campus by the Sea, that we go to. The second is this camp, Campus by the Sea, that we go to. And many of you may have gone out there and you, you did the whole Avalon thing. Let me just help you. If you're planning a trip out there, there's one good thing about Avalon. And that's the view. But when you're leading high schoolers out there and junior hires out there, Unless you're drinking alcohol, there is nothing to do after about an hour in Avalon. And so what we would do is we would hike into to Avalon in the middle of the week. We would, this is a miraculous story for the Resurrection Sunday. We would actually get up uh, 500 junior higher and high schoolers and they would climb from starting at 6 in the morning. They would all get up and they would climb over 1,500 feet over the top of Catalina Island through buffalo, foxes, wild boar, and then they would go down the main road and get into town, and we would hang in town for a couple hours. 
I don't know what fool thought that idea up, turning a bunch of high schoolers loose in Avalon. Um, it, it gets a little scary. But we would realize after about, about an hour that there really wasn't anything to do. So we made our own fun. And if you've ever been to Avalon, really there is just this main street that runs right in front of the whole marina area. And that's where you have just thousands of people going by all the time. And then there's a main square area where there's a fountain. And so what we did to make our own fun is we took a dollar bill and we taped it to about 30 feet of fishing line. And then one of the individuals that was part of our group would put it in their pocket and walk like a tourist through, right there through the main square where there's thousands of people, and the dollar would just conveniently fall from their pocket onto the ground. Meanwhile, I'm sitting about 30 feet away on a curb with the other end of said fishing line. Now, there are about 20 people gathered around that intersection just waiting, just waiting for the person who sees the dollar and is going to reach for it. And I have to tell you, you would think it would be like a kid. No, it, it, it's adults. It's, it's the elderly people driving by on their larks, you know, uh, reaching for it. The, it it's, it's nuns. It's, it's, it, no, there weren't any nuns. But, but it was just this wide variety of people. And the funnest part about it was watching, you know, because everybody's watching, like, oh, oh they're going to do it. They're going to do it. And they would, you know, they would do this. They would... One person walked up and just stood on it like this, checking their time, and they bent down to do their shoelaces, <laughs> right? For a dollar. And uh, so you know what's going to happen. So they reach for the dollar, and what happens? I, I yank it just a little bit. Now, the beautiful part of doing all of this is to get like seven yanks, right? To, to really get the person like going and going and going before they realize all these people are watching them make a fool of themselves. I kid you not, after about 15 minutes of this, we had a crowd of 500 people gathered around. And there was a roar of laughter every time the person would reach down and miss it. And most of the time, the individual, when they realized what was going on, just laughed. A couple times, they brandished weaponry and came after us. But... Um, Nobody likes to be made a fool of. Nobody likes to be made a fool of. So what we have to look at today is this story. Is it just a story? Is it a legend? Or is this real? Because if it is real, it has incredible ramifications. If this story is not just a story, if it is reality, if Jesus is who he says he is, and if I've placed my faith in him, either I am a fool to do so, either he was a fool to come and do what he did, or those who do not believe are fools who will be perishing. So let's look. Let's just explore for a minute. I did some searching on the internet. There's a great quote by Jim Elliott. He was a missionary down to the Amazon, and he has this statement. He is no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Now you really have to think about what he's saying here. But this is a great logical statement that would apply to many things in life. It most definitely applies to our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Jim Elliott gave his life for the gospel. He was killed 
by individuals in the tribe that he went to preach the gospel to. The end result of that story is because of that person's willingness to give what he could not keep, which was the message of Christ, that tribe gained salvation and faith. And Jim Elliott would tell you he was no fool. Even though he lost his life, he would say he's no fool. Why can we say that? Because his wife gave testimony to that. She survived. And she's given testimony about Jim's attitude and focus on what it would mean to lose his life for the gospel. But let's look at it from a different aspect. Let me look at, at three reasons that the resurrection are a hoax. And so, if we're to look at this idea that what we gather around today is really foolishness, I think I've been able to nail it down to three different variables. You know, we could just simply prove that this is foolishness with three, only three, it's only necessary for three variables. Let's start with the first one, right? Number one, that the crowds went away and the legend died out. That shortly after Jesus was gone, shortly after he died, but never resurrected, never ascended, that the, that the excitement just kind of flamed out, right? It kind of burnt out, just like anything. It was just a small movement, and it really didn't gather anything because there was nothing to it. It was only a small band of fools that followed a fool. So there's your first reason why this would be foolish, is that it never really caught traction. Number two, the disciples all ended up changing their story when faced with death. You know, when the disciples got into this thing with Jesus, they kind of figured that there was going to be some benefits for them. They were going to be part of his, his, uh, his group, his ruling society. It was going to work out really well for them. But then something happened. Jesus died and they didn't expect it. And, and we know this for a fact according to Scripture that what happened the night that he was betrayed, they all rallied the entire town together, didn't they? They rallied the entire town together. They got a giant petition. They got on YouTube and made a video. No. No, what actually happened is they all dispersed for fear of their own life. You see, the disciples didn't have a whole lot of backbone. And so, really what happens here is that we see when faced with certain death, those that were closest to Jesus, those that really should have known, when really pressed on it, they just fizzled out. They actually denied Christ. So that's reason number two that we know that you'd be a fool to believe in this. Reason number three, it really is the paramount reason in case you didn't catch the, the, the bylines, in case you didn't see it show up somewhere, in case you didn't get the memo, they found the body. They found the body of Jesus. So this whole thing is a hoax. You finish the sentence. April's... Thank you. But what's interesting about what I took so much time to painstakingly go over is that people have been trying to prove these points since Christ was here, since Christ died, since Christ raised and ascended and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If any three of these were true, we would have no reason to have faith. If any three of these were true, we would be fools for being here today. Do you understand that? Here's the challenge. 
None of those are true. None of those are true. I got one amen. None of those are true. And by the way, this isn't something that I just thought up. I mean, I, I tend to think I'm quasi-intelligent. My wife tells me every once in a while. She doesn't use quasi. She just says, you are so intelligent. Thank you, Janine, wherever you are. Um, I, I think I'm a fairly bright individual, but this whole thing about the body, you can see it right out of Scripture. That the Pharisees knew that if the body disappeared, the crowds would know that what Jesus said would be true. So what did they do? They sealed the tomb. What did they do? They put the finest guards guarding the tomb. And when it came as news to them that the tomb was found empty, they went and searched and searched and searched with a state of panic saying, we have to find the body. We have to find the body. We're going through the book of Acts right now, and the reason that there was power in the early church and power to the gospel is because of what we celebrate today, the resurrection of Christ. That's what drove the disciples. It's what drove the early church. They knew this to be fact, not fiction. Well, let's ask some questions this morning. Since we know that those three things are, are not true, I have this question for us. Am I a fool for believing in Jesus Christ? Let me share with each of you real specifically what that means. I am not just occupationally a pastor. Remember that hair club for men commercial? Right? He's, he's like, I'm not just selling you this stuff. I use it. Right? Same thing. I'm not just occupationally a pastor. The only reason I am a pastor is because of what I believe and what I believe is true. I've often let people know that it's not even a, a, an effort of faith for me necessarily anymore because of how much I have experienced Jesus in my own life. It is so evident to me. But I can also look at the rationalness of, of this story and how we can measure this against any other thing that we would choose to believe in history. And there's more evidence for the resurrection than most, most things that we pull from antiquity that the rest of society would never question. But yet still, there is this intimation that I'm a fool for believing this. I'm a fool for devoting my life to it. Well, let's look at this. Paul says this to Titus. He says, for we ourselves were once, what? Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Paul's attitude towards this idea of am I a fool for believing in Jesus Christ was actually the antithesis. He says, no, I was a fool. Because that is what my life reflected. Let me help you understand what he's really saying. I'm going I'm to make this as crystal clear as I can. When we look at who we used to be without Christ, without our faith in Jesus Christ, we were wandering around in foolishness. You say, well, pastor, that's, you're just saying that because you need to say that. You need to, you need to sell this stuff. No, I don't need to sell anything. I'm a horrible salesman. But the reality of this is that it changes lives. It transforms lives. Faith in Jesus Christ is transformational. We sang it today. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. 
You know, one of the beautiful parts about today and gathering today is this. It's not just about focusing on the resurrection of Christ and how incredible that is. He rose as evidence that what he said about himself, that he would rise from the dead, he did. What else has he said? That we, those who believe in him and have faith in him, that we will what? We will rise just as Christ rose. So I want to change your thinking a little bit about Easter and Resurrection Sunday. Every year when it rolls around, you should be celebrating that you, if you have faith in Jesus Christ according to his promise, one who could be trusted because he did raise from the grave, that he has promised to raise you for eternity into redemption and life with Jesus Christ. It would be foolish for me not to believe. As a matter of fact, it would be tantamount to this. Do you know anyone? Rhetorical question. Do you know anyone that struggles with addiction behavior or their family has struggled with addiction behavior and it has had tremendous impact and destructive legacy in their life and then they choose to do the same behavior? And do we not look upon that person and say, why are you acting so foolish? Why would I choose to simply lean on myself? Am I foolish for believing in Jesus Christ? No. No. Because he's changed my life and the evidence is there. And I've seen the evidence and the change in the people's lives around me that truly believe in Him and place their faith in Him. So the answer to this question is no. No. Now, if you're still wondering about that, because in our culture today, we really operate off of culture. Right? That's how we get a lot of our belief systems. Right? What do I believe? Well, what does everybody else believe? I believe that. Because I don't want the pressure of standing out, right? Well, if we were to take the argument that only fools believe in Jesus Christ, our society, if pressed, wouldn't even say that. How would I press them? I would say this. Well, let's just start with scientists. If I could come up with five well-known, highly regarded scientists that have faith in Jesus Christ, would we then be able to say that science is not compatible with faith? No, we couldn't say that. Absolutely not. John Collins is the lead scientist over the whole genome project and has been since President Bush's administration. He has a book out about how you resolve a faith in Christ and, and the miraculous understanding of, of our, our microbiology and the DNA structures. He's one of the leading scientists in our nation. And he has been bold about his faith in Christ. You know the guy Newton, right? He didn't make figs. He discovered that principle, right? Firm believer in Jesus Christ. But one of the most brilliant minds ever to grace this earth. What about Sir Francis Bacon? All that needs to be said about that guy is a guy with the last name Bacon. I don't care what else he did. You know, that guy's just a hero right there, and he should be highly regarded with whatever he says. Descartes. Michael Faraday, one of the greatest chemists ever. 
I could go on and on, but I, I need not. Let me go to writers, because some people really look at writers as, as the essence of the highest echelon of, of our society as far as brilliant minds, right? C.S. Lewis, just an incredible brilliant mind. Written some of the greatest works, some of the most popular works that's ever graced our, our, our volumes in our libraries. C.S. Lewis, a strong, strong believer in Christ. Lee Strobel, how many of you have read The Case for Christ or The Case for the Resurrection or The Case for Easter? On and on and on. An, in, an individual who is an intellectual reporter and he decided to do a process of proving the resurrection wrong according to all the standards that we use in the judicial system and logic and, and reasoning and philosophy. And he came to only one conclusion, the resurrection has to be true. Now, we'll get to that in just a second, but let's, let's move off of writers because most of the time in our society, whatever we see out of sports figures, that's what we say we want to be like, right? Let me prove my point. I want to be like Mike, right? Some of you are like way young and you're like, who's Mike? Who's Mike? Now, it's all about individuals like Albert Pujols. A, a strong believer, strong about, you know, every time uh, a, a, an opposing player gets on first base, not every time, but a lot of the time, Albert is known to share the gospel with that guy while they're standing there. Isn't that nuts? Now, I know that, that some of you are A's fans and you don't want me to talk about Albert Pujols right now. Up two to one. So I will bring up Andrew McCutcheon. You see what I did there? It's still not going to talk positively about the A's. Andrew McCutcheon, a giant, a vowed believer in Jesus Christ. And so many people respect this individual highly. But wait, he believes in Jesus Christ. That's foolish. Well, but wait, he's really smart. He's a great athlete and everything. And, uh, I got a problem. Nick Foles. Who knew Nick Foles' name in November? Right? The improbable hero quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, who is a trained minister. And it was very verbal about his faith in Jesus Christ. And nobody's looking at Nick as a fool. By the way, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the king of the Bay Area, Stephen Curry. Oh, I got an amen for Stephen Curry. Wow, Steph. Hopefully you'll see the video. Because I know Steph watches every single one of our videos. <laughs> Stephen Curry, just an avowed believer in Jesus Christ. And yet, how many kids want to be like Steph? How many jerseys are bought at $110 a pop? Right? Because we venerate this person. Now, if sports figures aren't enough to prove this point about are you a fool to follow Jesus Christ... The, the, the highest echelon in our society for peer pressure to form our convictions and values would be celebrities, I think, right? In a few weeks, I get to take my lovely bride and, and go see U2 at, in San Jose. And, and that great crooner of our time, Paul Hewson, commonly known as Bono, uh, will be taking the stage and singing and, or doing something like that. And... Uh, but what's interesting about Bono is his influence isn't so much about music, it's about what he has done around the world to help people and his partnerships. And he does not hide at all about his faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, I know, I see it in some of your faces. You're like, wait a minute, some of these people, they don't really live like they probably... I'm talking about someone who proclaims Jesus Christ publicly. I'm not saying that we all have our stuff together. But someone who proclaims Jesus publicly, are they a fool for believing in that? Outside of that comment, how many people would be calling these individuals fools? Uh, Tom Hanks, the great actor of of our time, um, from Bosom Buddies. (laughs) Right? I I hope you caught him in that incredible... TV series. And if that isn't enough, I'm just going to cap the whole thing by saying Denzel. I'll just finish with that. All right? So, and we could go on and on. Are you a fool for believing this? The world would have you say so, but I would say there's enough evidence that many have tasted of faith in Jesus Christ of the power of the resurrection. And they believe with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength that He is real and He is their Lord and He has done what He said He would do. He died that we might have forgiveness. He rose from the grave against all odds. And because of that, His message for us of light and life is true. And that message has transformed life upon life upon life just like Paul said to Titus. So I don't believe that we are fools by following Jesus. So let me, let me just do a couple more things and I'll be done today. So the question is then, is the atheist the fool? I don't believe that's true either. And, and you may say, well, Pastor Jeremy, are you pulling another April Fool's joke on me? No. I just don't think that that's true. And it's based off of this passage where Paul's, Paul is saying this, that Each of us, before the Holy Spirit came upon us and revealed the truth of who Jesus is and gives us the measure of faith to truly believe in something so improbable as the resurrection, that that is our natural self. It is our natural self. And that this whole story, to those who have yet to have the Spirit reveal it, is truth. This whole story is foolishness to them. This is what Paul's saying, right? You see it. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? They're folly. They're foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's not foolishness, brothers and sisters. That's just disadvantaged. If you're here today as a believer in Jesus Christ and you have that faith, it's because the Holy Spirit... As, as Paul eloquently describes in 2 Corinthians 4, it's, he uses a metaphor. It's as if the Holy Spirit pulls a veil away and now you can see the whole thing clearly. And it makes so much sense that at one moment it seemed like foolishness, the next moment you're all in. Now I've watched that happen with all different kinds of people. I've watched it with people that, that are part of our church who are self-avowed atheists walked through those doors and said, I don't believe in God, I'm a scientist, and I'm not interested. It's foolishness to me. That light right there represents the light of Christ that came into their life two months ago. The only reason that happened was because the Spirit of God, like she heard the whole story. She'd heard it and heard it and heard it. 
But it wasn't until the Spirit lifted that veil back that all of a sudden the light went on. And then it's no longer foolishness. And she would even attest to the fact that the transformation that's happening in her life is the evidence. It's not about foolishness. It's the evidence. And she wouldn't say she was a fool back here before she had that illumination about who Jesus truly is. She would say she just didn't understand, like Paul. This is the passage that I was sharing with you earlier. Was Jesus a fool to do all this? Was Jesus a fool to come down from his incredible heavenly estate to set aside his, his divine rights in order to suffer fully as man, fully as God, in order that we might be saved from the penalty of sin and death? Was he a fool to go through all that? Was he a fool to, in his last words hanging on the cross, under that incredible torture and pain, facing certain death to say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do? I'll guarantee you that there were people there that heard those words that looked at him and said, you fool. What did you die for? Jesus wasn't a fool. Here's why. Jesus has proved that he's God. It's been proven because of this resurrection. Remember I told you that, that this would be easy to prove as a hoax. Just produce the body. And there was a lot of motivation to produce a body. A lot of motivation. There were billions involved. Billions to be lost. A lot of motivation to produce a body. There was a body. Thomas saw it. And Thomas doubted. And Thomas looked at Jesus' scars wondering if he was a fool for doing what he did. Judas thought Jesus was a fool for doing what he did. But who in the end was the fool? It was Judas. Thomas looked at the scars of Jesus and he said, My Lord, my Savior! And Jesus said to him, Thomas, you believe because you see, but blessed are those who will believe who do not see. Do you know that Jesus was speaking about those in this room in that moment? He was thinking of you in that moment because it requires faith. And Jesus knows that. So here's why he's not a fool for doing it. Even though people reviled him, the very people he came for, the very people he loved, how much are you willing to do for your children if you have children? No matter how much they break your commandments, no matter how much they just don't understand their algebra or their ABCs, no matter how much they keep putting the wrong shoe on the wrong foot, why do you keep loving them? Why do you keep... Sorry, I just gave it away. Why do you keep caring for them? It's a fool's game. Do you know it now costs you like $450,000 to raise a child? Do you know what you could do with $450,000? Now multiply that. You guys alone, you have what? Seven, seven in your family. You could be multimillionaires. Right? I mean, we're going to talk about foolishness. Why would you do that? Because of love. Because of love. And this passage where it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. What? <coughs> Excuse me. 
I'm not, I'm not thinking that going to the cross, being scourged and beaten, being mocked upon, being spit on by the very people I came to, that, that anywhere in that is joy. But there was. So was Jesus a fool? My simple question to you is, are you a fool for continuing to love and care for your children? Let me help you with the answer. No. No. Let me wrap up this morning. So some of the problem that we have, maybe some in the room, the issue is, yeah, I, I, I don't get this. It seems like foolishness to me. Why would you follow somebody who we can't really verify, we can't really prove? Why would you, why would you do that? And yet I've given you good argument as to why perfectly sane and highly revered people have done it throughout history. I encourage you today, if you have not taken that step, think about that. If for nothing else, let the peer pressure of the history of people who are well-respected, who have chosen to devote their lives to Christ, cause you to think, at least consider, there may be something to this. Because if scientists, writers, teachers, presidents, servants, neighbors, grandparents, celebrities, sport if there could be a wide swath of different people that believe this, maybe there is something that's not so foolish here. But maybe for some of us, we're those who have made that step. It doesn't seem like foolishness. And we made that commitment of faith and we've experienced Christ, we've tasted that, and we've grown in it. But you know what we did? We said we want dual citizenship. We want citizenship in the kingdom, but we want to just kind of go over here and visit every once in a while into the junk. We want to go slum it for a while in our old natural self. And we want to make choices that cause us to work against our Lord and Savior. This is just another form of foolishness, and this is what Paul's saying. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I used to do this illustration all the time with teenagers, and I'd get ding-dongs. You guys know what ding-dongs are, right? Now I just made you hungry or sick, ill to your stomach, right? And uh, I would bring out a package of ding-dongs, and I'd just be talking, I'd take one ding-dong, and I'd, I'd, I'd like eat a little bit of it, and then, which was hard to speak and eat some ding-dong. And then I'd like, like slobber all over it and, and just kind of mack on it a little bit. And then I'd like even, even kind of like spit some back in there, you know. And then I'd, I'd lay it down on the table next to the pristine, untouched one, the perfect one. And then I would say, who wants a ding-dong? And, uh, you know, everybody. So I'd pick one kid and I'd say, come on up, come get it. And right when he got to the table, I'd pick up the pristine one. i said, go ahead. Like, well, no. I said, what's wrong? That's a ding-dong. I, I don't want that. I said, so you're telling me you don't want the one that I, I didn't eat the whole thing. I just took one bite and slobbered all over it. You're saying you don't want that? No, of course I don't. You want this, like, pristine one, this perfect one. Yeah, that's what I want. This is what Paul's saying. Who are the fools? The fools are the ones that want dual citizenship. We have one foot in heaven. 
and we're experiencing the beauty of the relationship with Christ and the perfection of that. But every once in a while, we want to slide right back over here and slather around a half-eaten ding-dong in our mouth. Unfortunately, that is what you're going to take away from the Resurrection Sunday. But you get the point, don't you? That is foolishness. That is foolishness. Let me finish up by taking us to this. In the end, God challenges us with this story. Actually, Christ challenges us with this story. And the Pharisees had talked to him about what's important in, in eternal life and so forth and so on. And Jesus finishes by saying this, and this is very prophetic, and it's what he says to you this morning. It's this idea of an individual who wanted to hold on to things and thought, you know, I'll, I'll attend to it later, but for right now, I, I'm just going to do this. You know, that sounds like a good idea. It's a good brochure. I'm going to take it home with me, and I'm going to look it over, you know, and, and, and I'll think about it. And so what does Jesus say about that? He says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We look at this idea of April Fool's Day. Who's the fool? I don't think reality lets us say those who believe in Jesus Christ are fools. I don't think Scripture allows for us to say those who don't believe yet are fools. Oddly enough, where Scripture says we are fools is those who have tasted of Christ and the goodness of that kingdom that we want dual citizenship. We want to kind of lather around in this ugliness and we make the choice to trade that for this every once in a while. I encourage you, don't play that fool's game. Don't play that fool's game. Today, consider, how are you living? Don't go for dual citizenship because the jet lag is horrible. The second fool that we see is the person who believes truly that what they can do is better than what Christ can do for them when they consider all things. Does that make sense? This is what Jesus is saying. So this morning in close... I want you to reflect again on these words that Jim Elliott reminds us of. And here's some things. Are you a fool for the faith? Then we need to live that way. Are you a skeptic that sees faith as folly? Well, consider the facts. Right? The antithesis of where we started today with that resurrection hoax. Consider the facts. Next, consider the truth, power, but mostly the love of Christ and be smart enough to at least seek, at least seek today. Jim Elliot had it down correctly. He said, he is no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. This is my gambit today. This is my role. I give you the truth of Jesus Christ. I give you the story and the reality of the resurrection which changed all of our lives for eternity. And I give you the opportunity today as I call the band up. They're going to close with a song called Come to the Altar. I'm going to be standing right here and I give you today the opportunity to respond. Number one, right where you are. To go before the Lord and pray. And Maybe you're the person that's got the dual citizenship thing going, right? And you're, you're being a fool in that sense. Can I encourage you? Get that figured out.
get that figured out. Where is it you really want to live? Second of all, maybe you're the individual that has always seen this as foolishness. You just don't get it. But you've heard something today that's striking a chord. Jesus simply gives this promise. Seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. So I encourage you today as well. Maybe that's your prayer that you have yet to place your faith in this overwhelming reality of the resurrection of Christ. And you're not sure of all that that means, but you're interested. Then go before the Lord. Go in prayer before the Lord. And if you have questions, I'm standing right there. And while the song's going, you can come up and I'll pray with you about anything you want prayer for. Okay? Let me pray in closing and then we will uh, dismiss with this song. Father, thank you for this day where we celebrate you where we celebrate the power of the resurrection, where because of the resurrection, we no longer have to live as fools. And Father, help us to think clearly. Let your Spirit open our hearts and our minds so that we can see the light of your Son. Let us be inspired by the message of Resurrection Sunday. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. Praise you, God. Speak to each heart today. Bless the giving as it is given and go with us. Rejoicing and holding true to not acting as fools, but acting as those who are redeemed through Jesus Christ. Amen.